all right, what's the verdict? And I'm like, we're making mayonnaise and I'm fucking engaged. And then I start <laughs> sobbing and then Mark starts crying, which you probably don't want me to share that part, but you That's did. That's now. Welcome everyone to the new and improved Primal Kitchen podcast, formerly known as the Primal Blueprint podcast. Mark and I are taking over as your hosts and we'll be discussing trending topics in the health, wellness, fitness, and personal growth space. Join us every week for brilliant new guests, diverse voices, and unique approaches to life that'll hopefully pique your curiosity and open your mind. A quick reminder, any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. Hello. Did I say that fast enough? It was fine. I'm so, I mean, it sounds like you were as excited as I am about this new thing. <laughs> I know. I love it. Um, awesome. So for those of you that don't know, I'm Morgan. I'm co-founder and president of Primal Kitchen. Um, Mark and I have been working together since God, what? I mean, end of 2013. End, end of 2013. Yeah. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. yeah. I started consulting for Mark uh, for $50 an hour in the end of 2013. I was also working for Rick, uh, who's our COO and kind of the trifecta that makes up this group that that kind of catapulted Primal Kitchen into the atmosphere. So um, I'm happy to be here and I'm super excited to be taking over as a podcast. Uh, we're going to talk today about the Primal Kitchen story. So um, let's get into it. Mark. Um, yes, Morgan. Why did you start <laughs> Primal Kitchen? Well, um, I started, I mean, again, this is a 40 year old story. Uh, goes back to my training days and uh, my dissatisfaction with uh, both the training methods and the types of um, foods that were available to train, you know, to, to, to fuel the training that I was doing. Um, over the years, as I got injured from a crappy diet, um, as I had to retire from competition, as I had to um, figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life, and I started to delve more deeply into performance, not just sports performance, but health and uh, wellness and uh, started writing books and started, you know, I started a supplement company and um, I was always so um, attuned to what you put in your body and how you could, you could improve your performance, improve your health, become stronger, leaner, fitter, faster uh, based on those sorts of choices that you made. And uh, lo and behold, it wasn't until 2013 or 14, I realized, holy smokes, I've been writing about eating real food and how to make healthy food taste better for decades now. And uh, half of what I'm writing about is teaching people how to make things to put on food, sauces, dressings, toppings, condiments, things like that, that you just couldn't find in the store that, that were healthy. So, uh, you know, you could find them, but they weren't, they may have tasted great, but they weren't good for you. And really that prompted my interest in uh, creating a line of products that you could feel really good about putting on your food. And, uh, you know, early days of paleo, um, I think the first thing that got crossed off everyone's list was mayonnaise because it was so full of nasty oils and it had additives and preservatives and colors and artificial this and that. And uh, for a lot of people, that meant no tuna salad, no egg salad, no chicken salad, no coleslaw. It was it was like <laughs> scratched off a whole um, two chapters of a cookbook for crying out loud. So, so, uh, the first thing, you know, I, I, I thought I wanted to do was create, um, uh, mayonnaise, ketchup and salad dressings and, uh, and as, barbecue sauce and barbecue. Well, and, Oh my goodness. The barbecue sauce yeah. too. Well, you know, what's funny is as we go back over, <laughs> over those initial iterations, the barbecue sauce sort of just sort of emerged from the development kitchen while we were trying all those other things, while we were 
trying to come up with a great salad dressing. Um, remember our Thai curry yeah. lemon salad dressing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it wasn't going to sell well, but it was good. No, it wasn't exactly right. It was, yeah. it was a niche, a niche product, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so the uh, barbecue sauce kind of emerged and it became a, I mean, now there's competitors to what, you know, we would call <clears throat> bitchin sauce and things like that. But, but at the time it was the kind of sauce that you could put on anything and it tasted great. Yeah. Of course, Mark you know, was, our, for those of you listening, Mark was obsessed with this barbecue sauce. We had a prototype of it. We also had this amazing mayonnaise and I looked at the ingredients of the barbecue sauce and I was like, Mark, we cannot fucking launch this. It's like, it was like 45% maple syrup. It was just straight. It was paleo. It was paleo, but I mean, it was <laughs> yeah. not keto. This was yeah. before your keto book. Yeah. It was anything but keto. Yeah. And it just didn't really feel right morally. So we like, we tabled it. We, until We, we tabled that for a few years. Unsweetened. Yeah. That's yeah. the secret. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, again, and again, the, the whole concept was to uh, to create products that you felt really good about putting on, on healthy food. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I think we, we achieved that early on and we sort of set ourselves in motion for a, um, a strategy for looking at different categories of sauces and dressings and toppings and dips, um, and identifying what it is that people really want there and then how to make the best in that category. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to set the stage for everyone. So I'm like 27 at the time, maybe 28. I don't know. I'm running marketing for this brand called Kavita. I'm a big, like I've had my own health revelation. I follow Mark, of course, because if you're into health and you're in your like late twenties or I guess any age, you, you knew who Mark was, right? Like he was leading the movement in paleo. So I, Kavita sponsors this event um, called PrimoCon, where Mark used to have this run out this hotel. Everyone would run around barefoot, play ultimate frisbee with Mark, eat all this paleo food. It was in Oxnard. Kavita was also in Oxnard. So we sponsored the event. I definitely didn't need to go, but I, I really wanted to meet Mark. So I went. I meet Mark and his wife, Carrie. We totally hit it off. And I end up giving you guys a ride home to your hotel That's at right. the end of the night of your own event. And then I quit Kavita and I don't hear from Mark. I mean, this is just a fun, like, hey, I got to meet this really cool guy. I'm on a surf trip with my now husband living in a van for like a week surfing from San Francisco to San Diego. And I get this call. This is four months later. I have quit my job. I'm like about to be unemployed like the following week. And Mark's like, hey, you know, I we met a few months ago. I want to launch this food company. I'm wondering if you can help. So I, of course, accepted. I can remember even where I was. We were in like some parking lot, maybe getting gas in this juicy van. And that was kind of the start of the relationship. So anyway, just like fond memories for me. But at the time, Mark had office space in the Malibu Chamber of Commerce. So when I first started working for you, you had this small team that is still, most of them still work for us today. Mm -hmm. I mean, Jay was in customer service. He's in sales. Farhad was in, you know, shipping. Shipping and he's now and packing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's now like an integral part of our entire logistics operation. Right. Um, yep. You know, some customer service folks were there that are still with us today. So it was a it was a small, close knit team. But you had a business that was growing for a while and then starting to kind of decline, like the bottom was falling out a little bit. You were still obviously very successful in your own right, but but kind of figuring out, OK, what's next? And this food thing came out. Did you know anything about the food space? I mean, I, I would say that that's the best, the, the single uh, most important element of starting this business was that I knew nothing about it. So I had um, a tremendous amount of confidence and hubris that maybe if I'd been in the food space 
for, you know, working for somebody else, I would have been a little bit more hesitant to get started, but I'm like, ah, we can do this. I think, you know, this is going to be great and it's going to be fun. And, and uh, you know, business is business. Um, But what I, I I knew what I didn't know. And that's one of the reasons I hired you early on um, that, that, you know, we, I needed somebody who had experience in food. I could handle, uh, I thought the, the marketing aspect of this, um, but the, uh, the, the amount of hurdles that we had to overcome from day one was pretty, pretty incredible. And, um, I, you know, I look back on that right now and it's, it's with very fond memories, but there were, there were a lot of tears in the process, as you recall. For sure. For sure. I feel like we were lucky though. Like some of these founder stories I hear are just brutal. Like we had a lot of champagne problems. Like we just grew fast. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, that's probably the single, you know, biggest um, issue that a lot of food companies start is just growth is is um, at a snail's pace early on, and yeah. you know you come up with a what you think is a wonderful new food idea, and now you have to convince not just your parents and your wife or you know your boyfriend or whatever. Now you have to go out there and prove that it's a marketable product and that you can make it in scale and that it'll have a shelf life and won't go bad and it'll taste great and people will want to get it. And I, I, you know, to our credit, and I think uh, you know, I think one of the great um, advantages that we had coming in was I had ten years of building a brand before we launched Primal Kitchen. So there were enough uh, of my viewers, my readers, my followers who were kind of ready, willing, and able to roll up their sleeves and go, yeah, we'll try this. This sounds great. You know, even though it's a little bit more expensive, it's exactly what we've been looking for. Yeah, for sure. Okay, I'm going to back it up for you. So the first meeting I had with Mark, we sat down and we did like, I had worked at an agency before. So we did a little bit of like the branding stuff, you know, like what's the mission, mission, what's the vision. And I remember in that meeting, you didn't have a name yet for Primal Kitchen. And I said, oh, you should name it like something like Primal Kitchen. Like you were going to call it Primal Blueprint. And you were like, oh, this meeting was worthwhile. I'll never forget. I was like, you asshole, this meeting was worthwhile 30 fucking minutes ago. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. And that was kind of like, I said that. I'm sorry. You said that. No, of course it was hilarious. It was hilarious looking back. Um, but anyway, okay. So the mayonnaise, we, we launched the mayonnaise. It took like what, 18 months after we started working on it to actually have a product in our hands. That was really the the frustrating part, as you recall. I had uh, some partners, uh, you know, who were great people, and um, you know, I, I was very excited about the possibility uh, of launching five products at the same time, a suite of, of five products. And so our our deal was kind of come up with these five products. Uh, we'll launch them within twelve months, uh, you know, and, and and we'll we'll hit the ground running with not just one product. Cause that was one of the things that, that a number of our advisors had told us, you know, try to have more than one product um, at least in a category and uh, or at least flavors and things like that. And, you know, lo and behold, after a year um, and, you know, things got in the way that uh, they were busy. They had, they had a child. Um, there were other, you know, um, other business issues that they were dealing with. And so at the end of a year, Morgan and I are like, okay, it's been a year. We've got all this marketing ready to roll out. We don't have a product yet. And, and at the end of that year, we did have one, and that was the mayonnaise with the one product. So, so we launched the one product. And, and uh, yep. February, was, February 15th, February, maybe February 6th of 2015, the mayonnaise. 2015, yeah. yep. And at the same time, Mark had invested in Thrive Market. Very, They are kind of, were born at very much the same time we were in a sense. And they asked us, I remember they came and said, can we launch your mayonnaise exclusively? And we were like, well, <laughs> sure. Cause we yeah, don't know. Who okay. else yeah, we don't it. have anyone else. So why not? Sure. 
Exclusive. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Yeah. And they had all this PR. So we got to like tag on with all their PR for free. And we also launched a campaign on Twitter, a hold the canola campaign, like hashtag hold the canola. And I remember this is a very pivotal moment for me. I, someone the the hashtag, we were going to give away like 300 free jars of mayonnaise for anyone who used this hashtag hold the canola. And someone said, enough of this hold the canola hashtag. Like it's annoying me. And I was like, oh my God, I've made it as a marketer. We have a campaign that is annoying someone like this is. We have haters. Yay. Yeah. We had haters. We also had a, a coworker who was not, not the biggest fan of the mayonnaise business as a whole. Well, he was, he was basically, I had hired him uh, more recently to be the CEO of, of the company. And he had sort of a vision of taking what we were doing in supplements and expanding that. And, and he, he said in no uncertain terms, you absolutely don't want to go into the mayonnaise business. Um, I'm, you know, my wife is French. I'm, I know mayonnaise. Um, you're not going to want to be in that business. You're going to fail miserably. And of course that was just more impetus for us. I remember that year, you know, they said, what are you going to do um, in, in sales and in, in dollar? He, we were doing a budget right. and, and I said, uh, well, I mean, I think we'll do a half million dollars in sales this year in this, in this product first year out. He goes, you're crazy. He says, you'll be lucky if you do 200,000. I said, all right, look, let's put 300,000 on the revenue side for the budget. And, and, you know, let's, let's just cross our fingers. Um, And so we did that. And, you know, uh, what was the number for the first year? What did we do for, if you ask me or if you ask Mark, you always get a different answer. I'm like the optimist president and Mark's like the conservative. It was 1.7 million. (laughs) 1.7 million. Yeah. So that was a little bit higher than the, than the uh, 200,000 that he was predicting in the best case scenario. Um, He didn't last long. He was gone within uh, two months, I think. Yeah. I actually remember we were, um, Picking, we we had taken a bunch of orders. We had product that was sold, but we didn't have the product in hand to sell yet. So we pre-sold our whole first run. We thought the inventory would last a year. We thought it, it has a 12-month shelf life. If we get through this before the end of the year and we don't have to scrap any of it, that will be a success. And in a week, it was sold out, gone. That's right. Sold out. Right. We had mayonnaise. We had we were in an office space. We there was no there was no pallets. There was no racks. No racks. Nothing. Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. And we had on hand unloaded the pallets of product and they were stacked up in his office because he was gone. So it, the irony of it all was he didn't like the taste of the mayonnaise. He didn't think it was going to be a success. And in his physical place was floor to ceiling boxes of mayonnaise. And we were so backed up that you and I were hand packing orders. Everyone in customer service was hand packing orders. I mean, we couldn't get this stuff out the door fast enough. It was crazy. And then we proceeded to operate really on just-in-time inventory by accident. I mean, we didn't even know what just-in-time inventory was by accident for the entire first year. We couldn't keep up with the demand. We couldn't keep up. We'd say, okay, well, we'll make it a little bit bigger. And then we'd run out right before the next next shipment arrived. And it just carried on like that. So... Yeah, no, it was, uh, it was every, I think every entrepreneur's dream to be able to, um, you know, fulfill that sort of demand and keep up with it uh, just in time. So not to have to have huge amounts of inventory that you're hoping and praying that you'll be able to sell before it goes bad or whatever. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was, it was helped uh, tremendously by the, the Thrive deal. So Thrive, uh, because they launched at the same time and they were giving the product away as premium for membership. And so I was, we were both pulling levers. Like I was trying to encourage people to join Thrive Market. Uh, and when they did that, they would get a free, a free jar of mayonnaise, which Thrive was buying from us to, you know, at, at a price to, 
um, to help drive their membership. And then um, there was the the Whole Foods deal, which was amazing. And we, you know, most, I think in a lot of food uh, companies, it's such a long period of time but between the time you develop it and the time you get your first shelf space in any of the health food stores, because you have to prove that you can make it, prove that you can make it to scale, prove that it tastes great, that people are going to want it. Then you have to uh, submit it for review. And if you miss the review period by one day, you know, you don't get a chance to, to present your product for another year sometimes. Uh, and so, and then even if you get approved, sometimes it's three or four months until they reset the shelves and, and resetting for the cut for the viewers is basically they have to wait till they sell out of the, whoever they're going to kick out to put you in, they have to sort of sell out of them first. So there are, there are a lot of these things that we kind of bypassed that when, uh, we had some, some, uh, friends who were familiar with, uh, the primal blueprint, um, some CrossFit people who were into paleo and it's the whole thing at Whole Foods who are buyers. And they said, yeah, this is great. This is what we've been looking for. We'll, we'll take you on without that whole rigmarole of the, of the review process or we'll speed up the review process. Yep. And Mark's talking about David Woods, who actually I think is working for CrossFit now, but he was the Rocky Mountain regional buyer. And this is great because we, I had heard that you wanted to be with Green Spoon and Yin Yang. They were the brokers you need. And it's this whole chicken and the egg situation when you're launching, like, do you get a broker first, but then you need a, you know, you need to UNFI the distributor to carry your product. And then you need the buyer to say, yes, it's like a very um, intricate dance to actually get your product on shelf in retail stores. Well, and, and just, you know, because for instance, Whole Foods won't take you unless you're with a broker. Right. Uh, excuse and me, unless you're with you unless you have distribution, distribution and a distributor and a distributor won't take you unless you have Actual purchase order. order. Yeah. 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 So I reached out to Andrew, who I'm going to send this podcast to after this and make sure he hears this part and and asked him if he would represent us, be our broker to help us get into um, Whole Foods. And they were at the time, like kind of sister companies with this company, Greenspoon, who was headquartered in Boulder, where David Woods was the buyer for the Rocky Mountain region. And Andrew had turned me down. He's like, oh, we're not taking any more brands now, which is like basically a nice way of saying like, I don't know who you are and I'm not interested in carrying your product. We're good. Um, But like fast forward four weeks and we get this email from Kari at Greenspoon. And she said like, hey, we're looking to represent you guys. Um, The there's a buyer at Whole Foods who's interested in bringing you in, but he doesn't want to like deal with setting you up direct. So he requested we like sign you on and we can get you into Whole Foods. And I was like, oh, that's great. Oh, you know, are you covered nationwide? And she's like, well, we work with our, you know, sister company, Yin Yang. And I was like, oh, they rejected us. And she's like, well, I think I can call them and we can do something about that. So sure enough, she called Andrew. He took us on. We're still with this broker today, which, you know, for those of you that don't know, that's very rare to be with someone when you're starting up that you're still with post-acquisition and you're doing over a hundred million in sales, which we are today. We're still with them. And we are like, I don't know, one of the top, I remember Andrew called me a few years later and he's like, yeah, you guys are top three account for us. And I was like, yeah, remember when you rejected me and you wouldn't take us as your, as your partner three years ago. Um, so it all comes full circle, but it really was success based entirely off David Woods, like man crush on Mark. Like he just knew we had a big community behind us and the product was going to be successful. And he took a chance on us. And, you know, we were super lucky. I mean, we were on shelves at Whole Foods in June of 2015 and we launched in February. It was crazy. Yeah. That's very quick. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was one of like our little pieces of good luck that really like catapulted the brand. And I don't think at the time we realized, I remember calling Amanda, she's now our EVP of growth at the time. She was like, not 
going to come work for us. She's like, I'll answer your calls, whatever advice you need. She taught entrepreneurship at USC. She's a genius, very strategic, knows food and beverage in and out, worked for Whole Foods, ran sales and marketing for other companies. I mean, she's like the real deal. And she was like, no, I've got like three kids. I'm not doing anything right now, but like, you can keep calling me. And we had been in Whole Foods for like a month. And I remember I was like, yeah, I, I just got some data from Whole Foods. Like this is our, what we're doing in volume. And we're doing, you know, like 10 units per store per week. And, and she's like, what? What? And I'm like, yeah, 10 units per store per week. And when we're on sale, it's like 30 units per store per week. And, you know, this is $9.99 mayonnaise. Like, this is not cheap. I mean, we're like three and a half times the price per ounce of our nearest competitor, right? And she was like, that velocity is insane. You need to figure out how you can get more equity in this company right now. Like, this, you don't even know what's going on. And we really like didn't even know what right. was going on, but it was like a pretty magical first year. And then 2016 hit, which brings me to my next question of what was the most stressful time oh, well. in Primal Kitchen history for you? Well, um, it was, uh, we, so we'd been on this ramp of uh, increasing um, shelf space in stores and increasing the number of stores. And uh, I forget if we'd gotten into Publix yet. Um, we had, this, you had gone to the meeting yeah, and we had sold yeah, it, but we hadn't right, shipped we'd yet. Sold it, right. And so we were starting to get some serious orders. And uh, what, we get a call from our manufacturer one day and we were supposed to make a, a, a run of, um, I forget how many, how many jars it would have been, might've been. I'm going to say 15,000 jars or something like that. Some, some significant amount of mayonnaise. And, uh, and the, the call was, uh, we tried to run your mayonnaise over the, uh, uh, over the weekend. Uh, and we couldn't make, we couldn't make it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't emulsify. Something happened. We don't know what it was. We don't know whether it was the, the oil or whether it was the machinery, but we can't figure it out. And I'm sorry, but um, honestly, well, I'm like, well, and you and I are like, well, all right, let's run it again. And uh, the answer was, well, okay, we can, but you're going to have to wait three weeks because we've already filled that space up on the production line. I'm like, three weeks? Goodness gracious. That's like, uh, you know, how, how's that going to happen? And so uh, we wait three weeks. And then the next thing you know, uh, we, we we get a call. We tried to run it this, this week um, and it did not run. We couldn't get it to emulsify. And Literally, I, what it was, some like 7,000 gallons of material down the drain, literally down the drain. And you and I are just going crazy, like, wait a minute, for almost a year, we've been making mayonnaise. With the same manufacturer. With and the same manufacturer and the same ingredients and the same oil. What is going on here? And, uh, you know, they, they, they put their heads together and they thought, well, you know, we're making it on a slightly different line and there's different temperatures that are involved. And, you know, maybe it has something to do with the temperature. We don't know. And you and I are like, wait a minute, you, you know, you're supposed to know this and, and it should be pretty easy to, to do this. Um, and anyway, um, so we're, we're thinking we're out of business. We're literally thinking if we don't, if this next run doesn't take place, we've, you know, this great business that we've started that we've, taken off and and just shot toward the moon is going to end before it has a chance to even, uh, you know, thrive at all. And uh, uh, it, so why don't you tell the rest of the story? Because okay. Okay. yeah, this is yeah. good. So then we tried like a third time. I think it failed again. They agreed to run it on the weekend for us. We'd pay overtime because we were so desperate. We're out of, we're out of inventory at this point. We're going to lose our shelf placement if we don't get product 
to the shelf. They're just going to drop you and put some competitor in your place. So um, they agreed to run a weekend run for us. It was a Sunday and I actually ended up getting engaged on this Sunday. Okay. And then I got the call that said, Hey, good news. We figured it out. We're back in business. You guys are making mayonnaise. So I purposely didn't call Mark because it was such a big deal that to be making mayonnaise again, that I wanted to tell him in person. So he's calling me Monday. I'm driving to Malibu to go meet him to go to lunch. Cause that's pretty much how we worked in the, for the first two years it was just meet up, go have a lunch meeting. <laughs> take orders and move on with the day. Um, So I'm going to meet him. He's calling. I'm ignoring the calls. We meet in the Malibu Chamber of Commerce office in the little like makeshift kitchen we had. He comes in, he opens the door. I'm working in the the kitchen. I don't have an office at this point. I actually still don't have an office today. And he's like, all right, what's the verdict? And I'm like, we're making mayonnaise and I'm fucking engaged. And then I start <laughs> sobbing and then Mark starts crying, which you probably don't want me to share that part, but you That's did. That's why I know. And he's That's, like, I'm so yeah. happy for you. And I'm so happy we're making mayonnaise. And it was just this such a like, it was such an entrepreneurial moment. Yeah, it was. It was. When it, yeah. And when they, when they talk about, you know, entrepreneurship being, you know, uh, big tumultuous highs and, and, you know, Real, real low lows. That's kind of what it is. It's a roller coaster half the time. Yeah, for sure. You know? And there was yeah. one other moment I would say we had an early lawsuit, an early frivolous lawsuit that we thought was a slam dunk, and it ended up costing how much did it cost? Oh, um, a hundred and eighty thousand dollars. When we had like no, this was like early on in the in the, yeah, you know, this but, is. But, like halfway through 2015. So, I mean, we hadn't even finished our year of $1.7 million in band yeah. sales. Yeah, we were just a couple of months into it. And um, and it was, uh, um, it was, a, it was a, a suit over the name. It was a lawsuit yeah. over the name. Somebody had uh, argued that they, they own the rights to the name. So, we wound up um, settling that for, for $180,000, which was, you know, it, it, and I remember you. I was driving home. I remember from too. From that. Yeah. And I was, I was really pissed. Although, um, talk about, uh, feeling down during that, um, arbitration, that mediation, um, the mediator came in and, and, and she said, you, you should be prepared to write a check for half a million dollars today. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Cause my lawyer had said, you're going to, you're going to skate out of here with no, it's not going to cost you anything, zero money. I'm like, well, it'll probably cost me 70 or 80, but that's, it's worth it. And then the, and then she comes in and says, be prepared to pay half a million. I'm like, well, geez, I mean, my heart sank, I almost threw up. And, uh, and then, so when we walked out of there with a deal for 180, I felt, I'm like, I think I feel pretty good about this. I'm not sure You were sure also yet. ready to throw up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You were yeah. also ready to throw and, up. And I do remember you saying, well, you know what? There'll be a time when, when we look back on this and it'll be the best 180 you ever spent. Yeah. So, so, and you know, it wasn't the best 180 I ever spent. <laughs> Uh, but, but it's close. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's some stuff with that legal stuff, which you handled and I never had to deal with. Thank God that, you know, when you have that precedent, then it helps you for the future. So, but I mean, it yeah, was yeah. a big deal. We thought about changing the name. I mean, yeah. we were like, yeah. change the name. I mean, we're so early in this game. We don't really have any equity in the name. I mean, thank God we didn't cause it's a great name, but yeah. no, it is. And I, you know, I had already purchased primal kitchen, the name from another individual. So I'd, it wasn't like, even though we were, we came up with that name, somebody had come up with it before us. And so I purchased everything from that guy first, including all of the, uh, the URL primalkitchen.com, um, a, a, you know, a, a Twitter handle, um, an Instagram handle, 
um, you know, prior art and all sorts of things that went back, but this other thing sort of came out of the woodwork. Um, I, as I, I, I mean, I think it was rather frivolous, but anyway, it, it worked yeah, out. We got, it all worked it. out. We got yeah. through it. Yeah, for sure. Um, what's the best advice you got when launching the business you think? Uh, wow. Um, the best advice upon launching the business. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, I think, um, when somebody realized that I was, I hadn't started a new company, I had just, um, added this, this line of products onto my existing company. So all of the R and D, all of the product development, all of the losses that we might've had that first year or two, um, they came out of, uh, pre-tax dollars because um, because it was already part of a successful business. I was making a fair amount of money, like enough yeah. enough to retire on almost, but uh, in the supplement business. But the fact that I that I didn't just start a new separate company was probably one of the smartest th- smartest things I did. Yeah. Um, and, and so there are a number of uh, business people who who sort of rolled their eyes and thought, well, it seems obvious, but I never would have thought to do it that way. I would have started a separate company and whatever. So, and just again, for the, for the listener, who's not an entrepreneur, you know, every time in California, you take a dollar of profit and then you pay your 62 cents in taxes. And I'm serious about that. Um, And you're left with 38 or 40 cents. And then you start a new company with the 40 cents. Um, You know, that that's not the smartest way to start a new company. So I would take the dollar and before I took it out of the company and paid taxes on it. If there were losses, I was able to eat those losses in the existing company um, just by, by rolling the new product into the new, into the existing company. Yeah. Yeah. That's smart. I feel like for me, maybe it was, we had a lot of like private equity early advice. And I think one of the most interesting pieces of advice I received was that some things are worth more money in a PowerPoint presentation than they are in reality. Like we knew we wanted to sell the company. So I want to get into that next, but knowing that, and I think it's important to know your end goal at the beginning. Like whenever anyone calls me asking for advice in their food company, I'm like, what's your goal? You got a lifestyle business here. You want to hand it over to your kids. You want to sell one day. And then you got to filter every decision through what's going to maximize the value based off the end goal. And, um, you know, not doing things is sometimes better than doing them. Like not launching a product because as soon as it's launched, and it goes into Walmart, like some very smart analyst at the company who you want to acquire you is just going to run the numbers and know that that's only a $5 million business. But if you leave it to their imagination, the potential acquirer could think it's $50 million opportunity. So the sky's the limit. I think that was an interesting like revelation for me that, you know, while we never had a meeting with a PowerPoint presentation (laughs) (laughs) before we were acquired, um, the PowerPoint the value of something in a PowerPoint over in real life is, I think, very real. Um, okay, so let's talk about, I'm going to set the stage again. So we, we've we launched this company. We have no idea. Really, we were pretty naive to what we were onto. I mean, I think we realized we were onto something special, but I don't think we realized just how special that thing was going to become. And at the time, Mark told me, if we could just sell this company for $30 million, I would be happy. Um, it was probably in a, <laughs> in one of those down moments when we had a, no, it was not, you were yeah. just like very real about where we were at. I mean, this yeah. is like, I'm talking March of 2015. Like we sold yeah. out of the first, you know, run, yeah. which was like, a, I don't know, I think a $25,000 investment. I can't remember. It was like 3,600 cases of 
sick. The first run? Yeah. How much was first it? First run was 12,000 jars. 12,000 jars. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. So it was 30, what? 30, $6,000, something like that. $40,000. Yeah. All got in. It. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was just, that was seemed lofty at the time because yeah. the goalpost shifted. So then this yeah. was my life for the next three years. Morgan, I think if we could just sell it for a hundred million, then be good. All right. I think we're big enough now. If we could just sell it for 200 million. Yeah. Good. And Mark just kept going. And you know what? I think I suffered from some serious limiting beliefs. Like, you know, I don't give you enough credit for like the visionary that you are. I mean, I do, but not to your face, but there was just so much vision there on like what could really happen here. I mean, no one was making condiments with avocado oil. No one. We were the only people at the time who were making mayonnaise, salad dressing, you name it with avocado oil. It was only sold in bottles. This is revolutionary. Now there's how many companies making condiments out of avocado oil, which I think is fabulous because the world needs more people yeah. condiments made with avocado oil and, and not canola or soybean oil. So I'm here for it, but you know, it was, it was interesting. Okay. Tell us about the Jim Carrey check. Cause I just love this story. This is, this is hats off to Mark's wife, Carrie. This is like the best thing I've ever heard. Um, so Jim Carrey told this story a long time ago um, uh, when he was basically homeless, living on the, on the street, sleeping in his car um, you know, trying to get gigs left and right, but he was a very funny guy clearly, but hadn't been discovered yet. Um, he knew he was going to be successful one day. And so he wrote himself a check for $25 million and he kept it on his nightstand. Um, as I recall, he tells the story and, um, like something like, you know, eight years later, uh, he got a check for $25 million for making the movie, the mask. So talk about manifesting, you know, uh, at its at its highest level. So um, I think my uh, my wife had said or, you know, I had told our therapist at one time we were talking about, you know, what what the rest of our life looks like and, you know, what my number is, because everybody has their number. And, and um, I had said, you know, 40 million was my number. And uh, so she so so that was great. I mean, she use that for whatever she said, well, how can you make, you know, how can you orchestrate your life so that that becomes a reality over time, over the next several decades? Um, and so Carrie wrote it, she wrote a check for $40 million and put it in my, uh, in my, in my bed stand. My Unbeknownst to you, you didn't know it was there. No, I knew that. So oh, I, that. Okay. so I knew that and I never, I never looked at it. And, um, and so, you know, um, Cut to a few years later when we um, we sell the company and um, and for, you know, it's it's common knowledge for 200 million. Uh, And, you you know, uh, the investors got some and you got some and it was great. Um, And I I sort of went to Carrie and I said, uh, well, that's, you know, that's pretty cool, isn't it? That that, uh, you know, we we manifested that. And she said, have you have you? had you ever looked in the nightstand since I wrote the check? And I said, no, she'd go look at it. She, she'd written a check for a hundred million. She had, she had put a, che- a, a check for a hundred million there like a few years earlier. I love so it. That's, that was crazy. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was really cute. Yeah. Um, so when we first started the company, like what made you most excited on a daily basis and how has that changed to today? Um, so, you know, I, I go back to, I'm like a kid who goes wild for an Easter egg hunt. So um, when I was seven, my dad used to take me golfing. 
I would caddy for him or, you know, it would look like caddying. I would lug the whatever bag he had and hand him a club or whatever and accompany him around the golf course. And my favorite part of that was going up in the woods. And, and when he would, I, I would, when he would shank a ball, which wasn't very often because he was a great golfer, but when something would go in the woods, we'd go looking for golf balls and we try to find his, but in the process, I'd usually find six or eight or 10 other golf balls. And, you know, if you're a golfer, you know, that's, that's how it happens. And so I got this sort of um, like this massive serotonin, dopamine hit every time I found a golf ball. So over, over my life as a, as an entrepreneurial kid, when I would, uh, I would make Christmas wreaths with my sister and we would sell them at Christmas time. And every time I sold a wreath, it was like a dopamine hit. It was like finding a golf ball or finding an Easter egg. Um, every time, uh, I, you know, I would take time off from school. I would shovel driveways, every driveway, five bucks, two bucks, whatever it was. It was like a dopamine hit. And it was this collection of these little mini successes, finding things and, and being successful at them. And so with, with Primal Kitchen, every time we opened a new store or opened a new door or, you know, got a, uh, got some great review from somebody. It was this kind of dopamine hit. I mean, I've, I, I think I was made for CPG. I think I was really made to, to have a product that, that the customer can taste or touch or feel or wear or whatever, um, because it really gives me a tremendous amount of uh, satisfaction to, you know, to just kind of get that. It's, it's, again, it's like an Easter egg hunt or, or looking for golf balls. That's the best way I can describe it. I love it. What do you think was like most, what could we attribute like the success of Primal Kitchen to? Um, Outside of the community, because that's an easy answer. Like yeah, yeah. your community, all that, of course, that's like, that's easy. Well, you know, um, I, I, I tell people it's a 40 year overnight success story. So from my perspective, I've spent my whole life sort of working my way toward uh, the timing of this, right? So the timing of it was um, having built a platform with Mark's Daily Apple and having a following with with um, the books. The timing of it was uh, finding you at the right time and even the timing of you leaving your job. Because um, who knows, if it had been six or eight months earlier, yeah. you might have not been available. I would have, you know, someone else might have been hired. It was literally the timing of, of hiring Rick. Rick, yeah. You know who is the third part of these three musk this three musketeer group that that ran that ran really really did you know most of the heavy lifting. Um, you know Rick was amazing in that he would whatever I didn't want to do or you didn't want to do he wanted to do he loved doing or if he didn't love doing it he certainly let you know that he was okay doing it right. Um, I think that had had we launched this sort of product uh, five years earlier, it might not have caught on. Uh, you know, the, the world was ready for a high fat, healthy fat sort of thing. And healthy fats weren't yet, um, you know, uh, in vogue. Uh, so if you, if you, so, so much of what happens with successful businesses is a combination of a great idea and tremendous timing and a lot of luck uh, you know, and the receptivity of, uh, of a marketplace. So, you know, I, it's not one thing, it's just a combination of things. It's like a perfect storm of all these things coming together. I agree. I think when I asked this in my head, I was thinking, Rick, I mean, we really like, <laughs> we really lucked out because I handled like the sales and the marketing and the branding and, you know, some of the other like relationships with co-mans and all that fun stuff. You were the visionary, the face of the brand. And Rick was like, 
the workhorse that got shit. I mean, we would have been lost without, right, quite honestly. And then I think it extends. I think then we would have been lost without Amanda's strategic advice. We would have been lost without Anna coming on and taking over marketing at the end of year one. Alex Schildmeyer stepping up. I mean, just the people that we collected, that we curated. Yeah, no, and that's that's timing and luck. And, and, you know, um, certainly, you know, it's the other, you know, it's those, those personalities for sure. And and what they bring, but it's the timing of their being available and meeting them and the luck of having them say, yeah, sure. I'll come work for this startup and and do this. Um, and so there not a day goes by when I don't look back and go, wow, so many things came together perfectly for this to, um, to do as well as it has and to continue to do great. I mean, you know, everybody's, uh, at craft is thrilled with the way we're going. So there's no reason to suspect it's not going to continue to, to skyrocket from here. But, you know, there are a lot, we, you and I have been in this business long enough to see a, a number of companies who looked like they were going to be awesome. Just kind of peter out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's true. I think another thing we did well is I've learned this, like, well, we always said we had a strict no assholes policy and we stuck to that. So I think that was good. Um, I remember firing some brokers and they didn't pass the asshole policy. Yeah. yeah. So there was definitely some relationships we like, oh, but I think also we hired people and didn't put them in a box. I mean, we didn't hire an org chart. We like found people who were passionate about the business and smart and motivated and entrepreneurial. And then we like formed the job description around them. I mean, Rick was our third person and he wasn't even a full-time employee until after we were acquired by Kraft Heinz. I mean, he was a contract employee. Amanda wouldn't even come work for us. And then she's had like, you know, 50 different roles. I mean, Anna comes from manufacturing of equipment for golf courses. She was managing communications for Toro and, you know, other University of Minnesota. But, you know, we knew we had a good egg. Same thing with like, you know, Kelly Partenheimer was at Miller Coors selling beer, but we know we had a good salesperson. You know, I think. No, I think well, so many people, Jay, Jay Money, you know. Janae, I mean, yeah. she won a poster designing contest. That's how Janae, right. For Mark. Yeah. She won a poster designing contest before, long before Primal Kitchen. And then she's now our creative director. I mean, she did all of our label design, everything in-house. We've no agencies. We've done everything in-house. And it's because we just have these like kick-ass people and we've been flexible. You've been really flexible. You were way ahead. This is very pre-COVID. You had employees in Australia, Seattle, all over when I met you. And this was not common practice. Like you were always valuing everyone's freedom and autonomy over where they wanted to live and work from home. And you made it work. I remember you telling me you were taking calls with Aaron on like Sunday nights because it worked better for his time in Australia. I'm like, Mark, push it to Monday night, at least, man. Like this is how you're wrapping up every weekend. But, you know, I think that was cool that that you were real, like, you know, it should come as no surprise, right? You've kind of like, like I say, like Mark is not one who rides the center line and you were pushing that boundary before it was like cool to push that boundary. So well, I mean, it goes back again to uh, hiring people for their particular personality and and how they feel about the lifestyle that we're espousing, and you know maybe their their innate skill set because they can learn the skills of the job that they're going to take on for us. But it was always um, most important that the you know that the, that the that the mindset and they they gel with the rest of the team, uh, and that was. And, and so with that, when you when you start talking about remote working, you can't uh, you can't expect somebody to clock in at eight and clock out at five 
in their house. Uh, you know, just that's not how work gets done. And that's certainly not how, not how creative work gets done. So I said from the beginning, I'd rather have somebody who's in a creative position, um, you know, have an aha moment at 10 o'clock at night and get out of bed and scribble it down and, you know, and, and then execute it on the next day, then stand uh, by the water cooler in the office from eight to five, you know, t- trading, trading weekend golf stories with another employee and getting nothing done. I've seen so much of that in other workplaces where people just, they show up and then it's almost by virtue of the fact that they're, that they have to show up and they have to clock in and they have to do all this stuff that they, that their creativity kind of um, falls by the wayside. So, you know, everything we've done seems to have involved some amount of, of, of creative thinking, whether it was, uh, you know, just the R&D on the types of products or whether it was the label uh, design, certainly our entire marketing team, you know, all of the, the cool things that we've come up with over the years, the, the slogans and the sayings and the, uh, and, you know, I, I, I mean, I've, I feel like we've, we've really done very well with that sort of thing and creating an Instagram account with closing in on 700,000 followers. That's, that's, that's wickedly creative. You, you don't do that without being tremendously creative. And uh, so, you know, it's all, it's all about creativity when you're growing a company like that. And the danger is as you get to become a mature company and you lose the creativity and now you're just, you know, doing the same things over and over again, because, you know, that's what the, that's what the market expects of you. Um, I'm not, I'm not interested in that. Yeah. I hear you. So let's talk about the acquisition process because I'm sure people are curious, like what that looked like for us. So we launched in February of 2015. We were acquired in what no, we signed in November of 18. Yeah. And we closed January 3rd of 2019. And I had my first baby on November 6th of 2018. And we negotiated the deal while I was topless, breastfeeding. On the phone. <laughs> in my kitchen. On, the, on phone. the phone with lawyers. <laughs> yeah. All day. I remember telling my husband, I can't do this anymore. He's like, you got it, babe. A few more days. I think you can do this. Yeah. <laughs> Give me a pep talk. But let's talk about just like leading up to that, like what that looked like for us, because that's a good story. Yeah. So uh, as as we went from t- uh, 2015, our first year, 2016, we had another gr- we had a great year. We we seven X our sales. Uh, the next year, we did seven times the next year what we did the first year. Um, I think we made it maybe tripled it the next year. Doubled. So we knew, pardon me? Doubled. Okay, 1.7, Yeah, you know all the numbers. <laughs> okay. And at that point, um, we knew, you know, that we were uh, ready to get uh, to get ready to start interviewing investment bankers to see if we could be acquired by a strategic company or if not a strategic, by a private equity firm. Uh, so we started uh, interviewing investment bankers, and that was a really interesting process because I think we, you know, we were sort of the, the darling of the food industry at the time, even though we hadn't grown as large as um, we, you know, we might have wanted to. But uh, you know, over over time, we were still in that sweet spot where there were a lot of people who were potentially interested in us. And certainly the investment banking community was interested in us. The private equity community was on our heels for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so um, that we started, uh, I, I took an office at uh, the Soho house in Malibu, as it were. Yeah. We had a back room there and we would invite, well, we, we would have 
uh, investment bankers who were going to pitch us on the deal, on on their wanting to represent us for the deal, uh, come fly out to Los Angeles, drive out to Malibu and meet with us for half a day, um, sometimes more, uh, at uh, the Soho house or what we call the Little Beach House in Malibu. And I, how many did we have six teams come out? Yeah, we did. We did. It was, it was crazy. Um, and I just have to interject here that we had six teams come out. They would fly in with a whole, I mean, 20 people, 10, 10 people, maybe 20 is an exaggeration, but 10 people of their team who had done all this analysis on our business. They're going to tell you why you should hire them to sell it and how much value your company has. We're sitting at Soho House, which for those of you that don't know, is like anthropology threw up on the most beautiful restaurant on the face of the earth. It's on PCH on the Pacific Coast Highway, but full ocean views and like Jennifer Garner's on one side, Patrick Dempsey's on the other. I'm just a girl from the Midwest, like calling my mom after like, you will not freaking believe what happened today. So this was our, this was our like office. Mark, Rick, and I had a lot of board meetings at Soho. This is like the only place we met for, I don't know, a year and a half. Year and a half. Yep. Yeah. 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 So, okay. Carry on. Oh, Every we probably met with 60 people, say six firms, 10 people came out from each firm. I was the only female present for every single one of those six meetings. Not only was there not a female investment banker pitching, there wasn't even a female investment banker in attendance. So it was a it was kind of a funny the food industry is so run by women like it really is. You know, there's no like. It's just not a non-issue, but the investment banking industry is something entirely different. So, okay, carry on. Well, then I'm just going to say, ironically, there was one person that we felt really uh, had had shown herself to be. But that uh, wasn't until after, Mark. No, no, no. Oh, I'm talking yeah. about a different one. Oh. I'm talking about a different one. There was a person who we thought we'd er- identified very early on oh, mm-hmm. as uh, the person who, yeah, that, who we wanted was, the that we wanted uh, to represent us. And um, over the ensuing six months, while we're talking to other bankers, we set up, I'm going to say five meetings with this person. Yeah. And every time we had a meeting, we're excited. This is the one I think really feel strongly about this. And she flaked every single time, like every single time. And there was always a reason I'm, I'm late in a, one other meeting. I can't make your meeting, uh, whatever, whatever it was. Um, and I just, just, that was so, so frustrating to me. And finally we just said, you know what? She's out. That's, we're not even going to go, go there. And then at the same, at the end of this process, um, you know, we had met at a, trade show at uh, an investment banker. Real quick though. We did this process in the fall. Yep. It it was November. We always have a bad cycle in November, December. We're always like down on the business every year. And then January kicks off and like the business takes this huge step up and sustains the whole year. But like Q4 every year is always this scary time for us for some reason. We started to recognize the pattern. So we put the process on hold. We met all these people that we said, you know what? We're going to hold off for six months. It doesn't feel like the right energetic time to sell the company. Let's see where we get into next year. We'll revisit things then. So we had kind of just taken a break. Yeah, we we were, we want to be sure that we could um, come through with the predictions that we made in those PowerPoint presentations, right? And we so, wanted to sell on the next year's yeah, revenue, quite honestly. We yeah. thought if we start a process now, we're going to sell yeah. on the end of our sales in 2017. Right. And we wanted to sell on our 2018 numbers. Right, right. Um, so uh, we had we had met uh, a woman at, um, uh, at a trade show and 
very compelling argument. She was with a very large bank. Uh, we didn't want to go with that bank because they're known for doing, you know, multi-billion dollar deals. And uh, we were afraid that we would get you know, sort of as a smaller company, get kind of um, given given second uh, shrift in, in that process. So uh, we, you know, we sort of waited and then she left that company and, and went with a boutique firm. And, and as soon as she went to that boutique firm, um, you know, we decided this is our, this is our time to, to, uh, to strike. And so it was, you're right. It was around, I'm going to say what, May, April. yeah, April. April or May. Yeah. Uh, so we had started the process in November, interviewing through November and December with six other, uh, investment banking firms, put the process on hold and then, um, and then hired our team, um, end of April, beginning of May. Romitha. She yep. was epic. So we loved yep. working with her. She yep. was like, when you know, you know, we used to do, we had a good one. She really like, she yeah. knew her stuff. Um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah. It was a good time. So then June, we actually met with Kraft Heinz and I stole a little ketchup bottle pin that they had at the front desk of this meeting, our first meeting with them, because I just felt like there was something special. Maybe that was going to happen there. And Romitha agreed. We met with, I don't, I think we met with Steven, who's now our CFO. He's been with the company since the Mm -hmm. acquisition. He came Mm -hmm. over, he's working for Primal Kitchen. He's amazing. Um, But I don't, I think it was like some other folks that aren't even with Kraft Heinz anymore that were in the meeting. And then we met them in June. We kicked off our process formally. We had like the bake off and all the things you do when you're selling a company. And we were acquired in November. Yeah, we had by, then, by then we'd moved to the shutters though. Remember we were at the shutters. We did management presentations, which is yeah, when yeah. all the companies who have put a bid in common, you have to give like a four hour presentation. And we did them like two a day or back to back. And we were posted up at shutters hotel in Santa Monica. I was 10 months pregnant, <laughs> 10 months pregnant doing yeah. management presentations. It yeah. was, it was a sight. Yeah. yeah and then great. we did, we craft emerged as the clear, you know, partner for us synergistically. We had the most to offer to them and they had the most to offer to us. And they were very, they were very um, strong in their conviction that they wanted to keep the Primal Kitchen team intact. And that was hugely Im- important for us. Oh, tremendous for us. Yeah. 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 We, you know, we wanted, we wanted the legacy to live on and we wanted the team that had built it thus far to carry us into the next phase, which is, I can say we're three years post-acquisition now almost. And we have, I mean, I think this is unheard of. Mm-hmm. We have almost the exact team still intact. I mean, we've of course added bodies, but I mean, our whole team is really still here. I don't know of another company that's been acquired in the food and beverage space where that's true. I mean, that's very unique. Well, not only is, is, is it unique to have you know the same team, it's quite often that that there's a wholesale restructuring uh, when it, when a company's required or acquired like that. Um, so this is yeah, and it's been great. I mean, I, I feel um, that that Kraft Heinz has been sort of the perfect partner for us in that regard. They've given us the opportunity with uh, you know all of the resources at hand that they provide, but allowed us to continue to do what we do best, which is create new products, um, have an innovative marketing strategy. Uh, you know, keep our team uh, incentivized and excited uh, to do the things that we do. 
Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. It's been, I thought it succeeded all my expectations. I thought it was going to be horrible or they were going to fire me for sure. And it's been really great working with them. We've gotten to hand off, you know, most folks probably don't know this, but I mean, you had a personal guarantee in our line of credit that we used to grow the business. We never raised private equity money. We sold a very small percent of the company to some, basically a friends and family round a year before we were acquired. But I mean, I'm talking- Well, here's, and and the reason for that, that was, it was an interesting strategic move. Um, you know, we, because at the time we were one of the largest buyers of avocado oil in the world. And, uh, we had to, we had to, um, acquire avocado oil well in advance of using it as a raw material because our suppliers our excuse me, our vendors, our, our manufacturers didn't want to hold on to it. So we were committed to these vast amounts of avocado oil, uh, a year into the future. And because the, uh, inventory, uh, requirements went from, you know, six different products and having two weeks or three weeks worth of product to now having 70 different products and having to have sometimes a month or two worth of each product in storage. Our inventory requirements were were such that um, I needed, uh, we needed a line of credit. And I was the, I was the main guarantor, um, put my house up and everything else on the, as the guarantee on the line of credit. So we, we raised uh, $4 million uh, from family and friends in in the way of equity, just so we could show on the balance sheet that we had $4 million of cash so that our bank would extend our credit line to 10 million. Yeah. So that was, that was very cool yeah. that uh, we could just, that's, you know, one of those little things that we could do at the last minute and not have to, we didn't even, I don't think we really had to spend the 4 million that, you know, aggressively. No, I don't either. I don't yeah. remember. We weren't in like Rick managed the business. Well, we were never yeah. in a cash crunch. Right. That nothing. I mean, I was scrappy on the marketing side. We, we, we never ran the company. Like most people would run a company growing this fast. They would raise money. They would spend it all. Yeah. Just try to grow. Who cares about the bottom line? We were always like neutral or positive. Um, well, I was writing the checks. You were so. writing the checks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I wasn't about to go spend your money. That was yeah. <laughs> too scary at the time. Yeah. No, we, I was, I was writing the checks. I mean, there were a few years where my income dropped, you know, by 75%, yeah. um, which I'm, I was happy to do because it was being rolled back into the business. Yeah. But um, it wasn't all sunshine and daisies because right before we sold was a particularly stressful time in your life. You remember? Um, and then, so we're at Expo East. You like, I remember we were going to get lunch at Expo East, big trade show. We're in Baltimore. And you were like, I was up in the middle of the night. I'm so stressed. You were in a, a personal cash crunch and oh. you had another failed. Oh, the restaurant. Yeah. The restaurant yeah. deal. Yeah. I was in, right. I had started a restaurant business. Um, at the same time that we had started um, the food business and it was crashing, crashing down on me. And I mean, in, in a big way, uh, yeah. you know, at the end of the, it, when it's finally unwound and this started unwinding in early 2018 and it's, it hasn't finished yet, but when it's finally un- unwound, it'll be about a $4 million uh, wow. learning, learning experience. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I was under a tremendous amount of uh, stress during that time, you were coming to terms with like this business is failing and yep. we're almost to the finish line on this, but we were in denial. I mean, I was fully in denial until January 3rd that we had actually sold the company. We're like, this is going to fall apart. There's no yeah. way this is going to happen. Well, as you recall, I mean, there were there were times, uh, you know, in those last couple of weeks because there's so many 
I's that have to be dotted and T's that have to be crossed and, and uh, you know, things that come out of the woodwork and, Oh, this is going to fall apart. Oh no, it's going to fall apart here. And, and, um, and then, you know, lo and behold, like, you know, like you said, on that phone call on January 3rd, the, um, uh, you know, craft, are you ready to wire the money? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the I'm like wait. The so this is actually this is happening, really? Yeah, really. Yeah, we were yeah. fully in denial, but you it, you were stressed. I mean, that was the most stressed I I think yeah, I've yeah. ever yeah. seen for sure. I mean, it yeah. was the timing. Talk about timing because yeah, it was it was it was it was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, past that now. I know. Look, I brought it up, and you're like, "What are you talking about?" And at yeah, the no, that's exactly right. I thought that's what you were talking about, but it it you know I put it in the rearview mirror a long time ago for me, it's like, uh, I, I had to move on from that because it was, I, I mean, it wasn't just that period of time. I mean, for the year leading up to that, I, I hadn't slept well because of all the stuff that was going on there. Yeah. 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 What do you think you learned about yourself in the journey from when we started the company to where we are today? Like you personally? Um, so, uh, I, I'll tell you exactly what I learned. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. Uh, for most of my life as an entrepreneur, I was like um, thinking that I would hire really smart people, but that I would also have the answers and, and sort of micromanage. Uh, and I think the, the benefit of entering a business that I didn't know anything about was I didn't know enough to, to have an opinion quite often on what was supposed to go on. And so I think hiring you, hiring Rick, um, I think you hiring uh, Anna and hiring, um, Amanda and hiring your bridesmaids from whatever your surfer girlfriends, Natalia. I mean, uh, and, and, but, but partly because, uh, I mean, every one of those hires was a strategic hire. These weren't just like, I'm going to hire my friend and give her a job. This was like, these are people who know what they're, know what they're doing. So for me to, um, to sit back and do sit back, but to do what I do best, which is be the face of the brand and be the thought leader. That was exactly what I wanted to do. So I, as, as my, I mean, I was writing checks, so I was clearly the financier as well, but in terms of, um, what my contribution was, it was more, uh, from the 30,000 foot level and, and, and being, available and going to trade shows and doing the stuff that I like to do and letting other people who knew a lot more about the business do what they do best. And um, so I really, I, you know, intellectually had gotten that over the years that that's what you're supposed to do. Henry Ford famously said, you know, I'd, what I've so famous, I forgot what he said, but something like it, I'd rather have the, you know, the fruits of, uh, you know, a thousand, uh, you know, guys, you know, working for me than one smart, I don't know what it was. I'm smart guy, whatever. He was like, he knew he wasn't going to be the company. He was going to have to hire and manage the people who made the company what it was. Yeah. Um, so, um, that's sort of, that, that was the biggest lesson for me. And, and, um, you know, when I, when I won't forget. Yeah. Well, I definitely didn't know what I was doing for sure. I still don't. Don't tell me that now. I don't, you know this, but you really let me run with it. Like I, 
you are not a micromanager. I mean, I, I had no business, no place being in the position I was in, quite honestly. I mean, I, I knew enough to know I didn't know what the hell was I was doing and I needed to find people who did, who could help me. And that was as much as I knew. And I think I had a good innate sense for some things and I could make a decision and I'm scrappy. But aside from that, like, I would not be the person I am if I didn't work for you and you put so much confidence in me. You like really trusted me. You really stayed out of the way. You were super, you're like the anti-micromanager. Like there's nothing more I could ask for in a boss, a friend, or a business partner than I think like the magic we had running the business together. Oh, it was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It's really, really a good, good chemistry that we had. Yeah. I was, as Rick would say, way in over, way over my ski tips, but it was good. Um, Okay, let's see. Um, If you look back on the journey, what are you most proud of today? Well, um, one of the things is, I, you know, I think we've changed food. I I literally think that we sort of were were the first company in the food space to design a product from, from sort of backwards, instead of saying, okay, we need a mayonnaise. It's going to cost $2 and 85 cents on the shelf. How do we get there? What, you know, how do we cost it? How do we, how do we um, buy the cheapest ingredients to make it and taste whatever it needs to do? Uh, And we set about to create the best possible product. We said, what is, you know, what is it going to take to make the best, possible mayonnaise, you know, uh, avocado oil, which is the best choice of oil, organic eggs, um, organic vinegar from non-GMO beets. We, we made the product and then we said, okay, what does it cost to make? And what do we have to sell it for in order to be successful and make a product, um, you know, make a, make a successful product. And I think we've, we sort of backed our way into all of our products like that. And, no, I don't think anyone had ever done that before. So what it, what we wound up with was a suite of products that are the best in class. And you know, there now there are other companies that are competing with us and I and I welcome that because it's I think we've changed the way manufacturers look at food. I think we've changed the way I th- I think we've we've appealed to a a large segment of buyers who are knowledgeable enough to go, you know what? I, I really, I know what I'm looking for. I know how to read a label. I just have never seen a product that like this, that, that fits my specifications. So when we arrived on the scene with this mayonnaise or with this ketchup, which is probably my, the, the favorite of all of our products, I think we, you know, we took a, a problem that, that had not been solved in 20 years of complaining, mom's complaining about high fructose corn syrup and how crappy, you know, the standard ketchup is. And we solved that problem with a great tasting, organic, unsweetened ketchup. Um, this, I think, I'm most proud of the fact that I think we've changed the way manufacturers are starting to approach their customers. Yeah, it's very cool. It is a very different way of doing things. Um, I'm going to answer this one first, but I'm going to, I'll ask the question, but I, I want to know the most memorable, like best moment of Primal Kitchen. And I'm going to tell you mine so you can't steal it. So I, let's see, it's Monday, like maybe it's November 2nd or something. I'm on the phone with Rick, my water breaks, go to the hospital, 
24 hours later, I end up in it, having a C-section. Thank God, because I got to stay an extra few days in the hospital for my maternity leave. Friday, I come home with a new baby. The fires break out in Malibu. This is 2018, right? That's when you guys yeah. are back. Yeah. 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 And on Saturday, you and I had a four-hour phone conversation where we went through every single employee down to warehouse staff, everyone, and decided what bonus amounts we were giving every single person as part of the acquisition. And this was like something we had talked about for years. Like we had already decided years before we sold the company, like we were going to bonus everyone who worked for us. We told no one and we gave away some bonuses that were life-changing amounts of money. And I remember just, we had this Google sheet, you know, live and die in Google sheets. And it was just such a, you know, full circle, cool moment. So that was my first day home after I had Riker. (laughs) And then sure enough, we had to pass that document off. Like, I don't know, two weeks later when the deal closed to figure out what what we were doing for everyone. But that was really, I think that was my most that. And then we, tried to personally call everyone Mm -hmm. on the team. Like we split up the roster and tried to call everyone before the acquisition news broke, but someone leaked the story the night before Kraft Heinz was going to go out with the press release. So I think it snuck out maybe like morning instead of the afternoon. And we didn't have time between when we signed the deal and when this news leaked to call everyone, but we started calling people. And then we were like, Anna, call some people on your team. Help, help, help before they read it in the news. But it was just such a crazy week. Yeah, no, I I was gonna that that was certainly a, a high point was making those phone calls, um, and and I think um you know just uh, having the deal the offer uh, from Kraft was was a high point, um, and aside from that, there's just a lot of like uh, secondary high points of going to trade shows and and yeah. getting the feedback from customers and from uh, vendors and from you know uh, anybody who's out there having <laughs> being courted by private equity groups who yeah. who want to invest in the company and saying no 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 we're good we you know we, we don't need any any investment um, it was just I, I loved the feedback uh, throughout the years that we were growing the company. Uh, People basically saying, "Look, we we love what you're doing. Keep doing it." Um, we had a, we had such cheerleaders on our on our sidelines for for growing the company. Yeah, no, we did. The trade shows were fun. I can't wait till those happen. Yeah, same. <laughs> okay, in a different life, Mark, if you weren't the co-founder or the founder of Primal Kitchen, what do you think you'd be doing right now if we didn't launch Primal Kitchen? Uh, well, knowing what I know now, um, if I'd started about 15 years ago, I'd be a DJ. You would. Yeah. EDM. Interesting. EDM, baby. Yeah. yeah this is a new thing. You were, you were also, weren't you playing guitar? Like you were taking guitar lessons a couple of years ago or piano? No, no, no. No, I, I have a piano, and I, but I'm playing drums. So drums, I, I, have, drums. I have drums now. Yeah. So that was the thing I took took up after um, uh, after we sold the company. I needed, you know, something to uh, to uh, take out my, my energy on on a daily basis. And the drums was it. I love it. So yeah. EDM DJ. Yeah. Interesting. Would you be in Miami, you think? Or yeah, you... for sure. Yeah. yeah. You're loving it. Yeah. It's great. Um, okay. Either, either that or I'd be teaching um, uh, stand-up paddling in, in Bali. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah. I'll come. We should, we, should bring it, we should bring back Primal Con, but make it like in Bali and do stand-up paddle boarding. It's sounds okay. Good. 
There's certainly a lot of uh, a lot of uh, people have come out and said, when, when are we going to do the next Primalcon? You know, we did like, I think, 13 of them. Um, we did Oxnard several times. We did Tulum. We did Mohonk up in uh, up, upstate New York. We did Austin. We did uh, Camp Richardson up in Lake Tahoe. We went to um, Mexico. Didn't you yeah, to Tulum. We did the Tulum. Oh, okay. Tulum. Okay. We had like 100, 165 people on that. Um, it was, you know, it was a three-day, for people who don't know, PrimalCon was a three-day primal experience. And like you said, people would run around barefoot and uh, learn Olympic lifting and how to throw an atlatl and, uh, you know, play ultimate Frisbee. And we would cater uh, every meal with, you know, paleo-type uh, foods. Um, it was a three-day experience in in better living, and people yeah. loved it. I love it. I know that's where I feel we met. We we got to bring back Primal Con. Yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, wrapping it up. I feel like is there any part of the story I'm forgetting? Can you think of anything? Uh, it's, no, it's that's it's pretty comprehensive. Pretty comprehensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so for you, what do you think Primal Kitchen looks like in the next five years? Um, well, you know, I told. I told uh, senior management at Kraft that I want this to be a billion dollar company, a billion dollars in sales. And uh, I, I still feel like we have the trajectory to do that. And why that number? Because it represents uh, ultimately uh, it's a, it's a measure of success that you can have a very successful, better for you, healthy food company that um, changes people's lives because they start to become more aware of what they're, putting in their mouths and in their bodies. Awesome. I love it. I look forward to seeing that vision come to fruition as all of your visions. All right, Mark, thanks so much. This was awesome. I'm glad we memorialize this because we've been telling this story for quite a few years now and it's fun to do it um, in a way that could live on. So this is awesome. Thank you guys. Um, We'll be back next week with more great interviews. So stay tuned. Goodbye, everyone. Mm